0: Verse 27 to 34. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, have mercy on us. We need your grace and your mercy. But I pray that as we dive into your word today, that we would hear from you, that we would hear clearly from you. May we be more and more in awe of you, our healer. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You take a seat. We are coming to a close in this section of our series in the book of Matthew where we focus on the king's power, right? Um, it's Jesus' authority over all things seen and unseen. And we've looked at several of these miracles just in chapters eight and nine. And in our text today, we're going to look at two, actually the last two healings in chapter nine, the healing of the blind men and the mute man whose disability, as our text says, was caused by demonic oppression. And before we take a look at our text today as a way of introduction, I wanted us to take a moment to just think about and reflect on our response, thoughts, feelings towards um, Jesus' miracles as we've looked at the last few months. So right, just in chapters 8 and 9, we've seen Jesus healing the sick, right? Calming a storm, casting out demons. Last week we saw the healing of the bleeding woman, the dead daughter being raised to life. Not to mention all the other many miracles that is briefly mentioned but is not uh, there is not a lot of details about them. So I guess my question is, is anyone here dealing with, suffering from, or has experienced miracle fatigue. And what I mean by that is simply feeling indifferent towards Jesus' miracles. Um, If I'm being honest with you, right, we're family. This is family gathering. I've felt that, confessed of it, had to repent of it. It's this—it's this feeling of, oh yeah, Jesus healed the sick, right? Jesus healed the sick, calms the storms. Oh yeah, you know the whole paralytic—he got dropped, you know, dropped on the roof. You know, great, good good story. Oh yeah, he—he raised kids from the dead. Like that's great, you know. What's new? What's new? I believe many of us here actually believe the entirety of God's word to be true. My assumption is that many of us here believe that the narratives that we've read in chapters 8 and 9 are actual historical events that took place, that Jesus actually did these miracles, and that Matthew, the author of Matthew, was a real eyewitness of these miracles. Sorry. Yet these narratives feel distant. Irrelevant. And, you know, we read today's text about Jesus healing the blind men, casting out a demon so that a mute man can now speak. But, you're like me, hopefully not too much like me, but maybe in our minds we are tempted to block out the thoughts about what we're going to do after service today. You know, what are we going to put on the grill what are, you know, what are we doing with our family? Where are we going? Right? Do we have all the sides? I mean, that's what we're a little bit more concerned about today and moved by today than being struck by Jesus healing the blind man and the mute man. So I pray, I pray, I, and I prayed that you and I, that we would all be freshly amazed and stirred Jesus' healing power, that we would feel the weight of that, and we would seriously contemplate what that means for us. How is God speaking to us through his word, through this healing narrative? In our message today, we're going to have two main sections. The first one is going to be us looking at the blind man's confession, their confession of faith, and their pursuit of healing how they had a correct view of themselves and a correct belief in Jesus. And then following the healings of the blind man and, and the mute man, we're going to look at the two different responses, one coming from the blind man and the other from the crowd and the Pharisees. You may be familiar with the idiom, seeing is believing. right? It's typically used when you see something or after seeing something, you believe That this thing exists or this thing really happened, however unlikely it is because you witnessed it, right? So however unexpected, unlikely that thing or that event was, you're so sure. There's no doubt because you actually witnessed it, right? So that seeing is believing. So spinoff of that, I've titled today's message, Believing is Seen. Believing is Seen. So the pursuit of healing, the confession of faith, let's first take a look at the blind men and their pursuit of healing. If you look at verses 27 and 28, it reads, And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus, the blind men came to him. And we'll stop right there. The last week we saw the desperation, as Pastor Mike pointed out, and Jairus in, the, in the hopes that his daughter would be raised from the dead, and the bleeding woman. She had been bleeding for 12 years. So we saw the desperation for them in, in, in seeking and hoping for healing. And we see the same desperation from the blind man. Now, I don't know if you notice, but from our text, it actually looks like Jesus ignores the blind man and their initial cry to him. Because it says, they cried out to him, right? Have mercy on us, son of David. No response, and he enters into the house. It's like he got the silent treatment. And something about that seems more harsh, given that they were blind, right? So you have these two blind men crying out for mercy, right? Hoping to get some kind of response. They're trying to get his attention. Jesus walks right past them. And again, since they're blind, they wouldn't even know that he walked right past them. The only way he would have known is if someone told him, hey man, like, Jesus is gone, he's already left. Or maybe he heard the, the, the noise of the crowd that, would, that weakened as, as people kind of moved on and walked into the house. Whatever the case is, when they were met with this silence or a lack of response, the blind men didn't then think to themselves, hey man. That was our shot. You know, we tried. At least we tried. You know, uh, I, I guess we're just, you know, back back on the streets, back to begging, back back to begging on the streets. No, it. They somehow figured out a way. Again, they're, they're blind. You have to you have to put in perspective. These are blind men, but they somehow figured out a way to follow Jesus into the house, and they it says that they came to him. They came to him. And the reason why they continued to pursue to encounter Jesus was because they had a correct view of themselves and a correct belief in Jesus. So, how did the men, how did these blind men have a correct view of themselves? Well, first, they knew they were in need of God's mercy. They say, have mercy on us. They cried aloud. What is mercy anyway? We just sing a song, right? We sing a song. Quick side note, I said, hey, we're not going to sing, let's not sing a new songs for a few, and then I was like, hey, we got to sing this song. So I said, let's sing this song, right? Lord have mercy on us. Christ have mercy on us. And I think often grace and mercy is, is used interchangeably. I don't think correctly, but often we see it used interchangeably. So God is both merciful and gracious. But we don't realize that two things are actually They're two different things, maybe two different sides of the same coin, if you can put it, right? So if grace is unmerited favor, you know, the phrase unmerited favor, right? It's it's receiving something that you do not deserve. The mercy is the withholding of deserving judgment, right? So the grace is, is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is the withholding of something that you do deserve. So here we have the blind men that cry out, have mercy on us. And so if mercy is withholding God's judgment or withholding the deserved judgment and the blind man plead for mercy, then that means they were confessing they're deserving of God's judgment. Now, we don't know what caused their blindness, right? This text doesn't say But blindness at that time was often perceived as some form of God's judgment. Um, in John 9, in a different healing story. Uh, it's, it's a much more detailed account of another man that gets healed. And prior to his healing, these are the disciples of Jesus that asked Jesus if it is the blind man or his parents that sinned. Assuming that the suffering of this man could be traced to someone's sin, right? So the fact that the blind man begged for mercy shows that they weren't hoping to receive something that they don't deserve they were acknowledging that they were very deserving of God's judgment to some extent. And 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 it's very possible that they believe, or maybe they're even conditioned to believe, that specifically their blindness was God's judgment upon them. So they're pleading to Jesus that he would be merciful, that he would show compassion to spare them from further judgment and to heal them. And in addition to them recognizing their mercy, we see a posture of humility. we back to verse twenty, It says, when he entered the house, this is Jesus entered the house, and the blind man came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. They said, yes, Lord. Again, okay. the blind man somehow figured out a way to enter into the house, and, and, and they finally got Jesus' attention. <clears throat> but when they got his attention, he's now asking them, questioning them of their faith and their initial confession, asking them if they believe, if they believe that he is able to do this. And the blind men replied, yes, Lord. The blind men didn't believe that they were entitled to anything, which is why they pleaded for mercy. And after seemingly getting the silent treatment, followed up by more testing and more questioning, they weren't saddened or discouraged, or at least we can't tell that they were from the text. They maintained their humility and submit to his authority. Yes, Lord. And they knew this. They knew because who they believed themselves to be, men, blind men, worthy of judgment, their only hope was in Jesus' mercy and submitting to his lordship. So we see their, the blind man and their correct view of themselves. But not only did they have a correct view of themselves, they also had the correct belief in Jesus. When you go back to verse 27, the blind man referred to Jesus as the son of David, right? It's not the first time we see son of David in the book of Matthew. It's actually chapter one, verse one starts with the book of the genealogy, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. But here in our text is the first time Jesus is referred to as the son of David. And the reason why they're addressing him as the son of David is important is because they believed to some extent that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that he was the anointed one who will redeem God's people, as the Old Testament prophets prophesied. Now, when we, again, when we first read our text, did you notice that in verse 28, when Jesus asked the blind men what they believed, he does not ask them, Do you believe I will do this? He asked them, Do you believe I am able to do this? To which the blind men replied, Yes, Lord. Meaning, the blind men weren't even sure if Jesus was actually going to heal them. But what they were sure of was his ability to heal because who they believed him to be. Remember, the blind men were pleading for Jesus' mercy. They knew they weren't deserving of healing, yet because they believed him to be the Messiah, even though they got that silent treatment initially, they followed him in hopes that the Messiah who was able to make the blind see would have mercy on them. So when Jesus asked the blind man, do you believe that I am able to do this? It's really a two-layered question. It's certainly asking them, do you believe I am able to heal? But he is really asking them, do you believe I am able to heal because I am the Messiah? And in their pursuit of healing, their hope was in Jesus because who they believed him to be. And quickly, the healing experience, we see that in, in, in verse 29 and 30 says after they say yes, Lord. It says in verse twenty nine. Then he touched their eyes, saying, "This is Jesus. According to your faith, be it done to you." And their eyes were opened. Skip a few verses. This is now the healing of the mute man. You know, he he was he was brought to Jesus, uh, and it's it's just a quick verse. It says that when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. The demon had been cast out, and the mute man spoke. Um, so all this. The pursuit of healing, the experience of healing, what does this have to do with us today? What does this mean for us today? Uh, have you heard someone say, I have faith? Have you heard, I have faith, right? Maybe it's in the midst of a spiritual conversation, whether it's a family member somewhere, a neighbor on the street, I have faith. Or maybe that conversation kind of further, you know, um, you're further into that conversation and maybe you get into the gospel, so you're talking about, you know, God and His grace and His mercy, you're talking about Jesus and the cross, and when you get to Jesus, you hear, oh, I, I believe in Jesus. I have faith in Jesus, right? Now, when someone says that they have faith, we have to ask ourselves, what do you mean you have faith? Faith in what? Because there is no such thing as faith and faith, meaning we always have faith in something or in Who? What? And so, just ask ourselves, faith in what? Faith in who? And following up, when someone gets, you know, professes with their mouth, I have faith in Jesus, or I believe in Jesus, then the question is, who do you believe Jesus to be? And how does your faith in Jesus actually impact the way you live your life? And I believe, through his words, Jesus is asking us the same question that he asked, the blind men 2000 years ago, do you believe that I am able to do this? And in that question, what is being questioned is whether or not we have a correct view of ourselves and a correct belief in Jesus. So even though the blind men were unable to see, right? They're blind. There's, there's no exegesis to figure out. They're blind. They could not see physically, but their eyes were open spiritually. They had faith in Jesus, and their physical blindness did not hinder them from seeing themselves and Jesus rightly. Their believing was their seeing. Now, we don't know to what extent the blind men understood their own sin. right? We also don't know to what extent they fully understood Jesus to be the son of David, the coming Messiah. But they believed they were deserving of God's judgment, and Jesus was their only hope. That's what they believe. We're going to see later that that the blind men aren't really like the model examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus after receiving a healing touch. We're going to look at that later, but their simple faith was genuine, life-changing faith to believe that they're deserving of God's judgment and that Jesus was their only hope. That means for us today, just like the blind men, we are helpless and our only hope is in God's mercy and compassion. We have all sinned. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, deserving of God's wrath, the eternal judgment. And our sin is what causes our spiritual blindness. So rather than blaming our life circumstances, or living with a sense of entitlement that we actually deserve something, we must come before the throne of God with that humble posture, confessing our sin against the holy, perfect, and righteous judge, to repent of our inability to live the lives, the perfect lives that we are required to live, that we're deserving of nothing but judgment for our spiritual blindness, which ultimately leads to spiritual death. And just as the blind men believed Jesus to be the son of David, as prophesied in the Old Testament, that that they believed that he was some figure to submit under, to follow, we must see Jesus as his word reveals to us. He's not just some miracle worker, a genie in the bottle that we go with our life problems. Now, certainly, we're going to talk about what it's what it's like to, to, to ask, but He is the healer who is not only able to heal us in our physical blindness, but he heals sinners who believe in him. He heals them of their spiritual blindness. He's able to heal us from spiritual sickness, as we saw earlier uh, in chapter 9 from Pastor Cleese's message, right? Jesus came to heal sick people, and that's all of us. And this Jesus, this healer, demands our obedience and complete submission unto him. Do you believe? Do you believe he is able to do this? He is the Son of God through which God will establish his kingdom forever. He is the promised Messiah who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who, to the disappointment of the Jews, didn't free them from the Romans, but he will redeem does redeem his chosen people that consists of both Jews and Gentiles. And not only is he a merciful, compassionate healer, he is a gracious, a gracious Savior who offers the gift, the undeserving gift of salvation to those who repent of their sin and believe that Jesus is Lord. A uh, quick note about uh, healing. I think it's important that we remember to trust in His sovereignty and His, his goodness. Uh, we see in our text two separate healing accounts, right? The blind man, And for them, their, tests, their, their faith was tested and even questioned. But you don't read anything about the mute man and his faith. It just says that someone brought him to Jesus and then the demon was cast out. And he spoke, right? Does that mean, is our faith required? I don't know. We saw last week, certainly it said it was their faith that healed him. Even in our text, they, according to your faith, be it done to you. But I think we want to be really careful to say that our, our, our faith is not what merits God's favor. If anything, it, it's what, how we claim his favor upon us as we repent of our sin and believe in him so brothers and sisters let's continue let's continue to seek to ask to knock he is able to heal but he heals as he wills in his own timing according to his perfect plan and we don't trust him because well yes We don't only trust Him because He is God and we're not. That's certainly true. But because we believe that He is able. Not because He will, but because He is able, and He also promises us that He will not withhold what is good from those who walk uprightly. And we are made right with God through His blood. So maybe your heart has been hardened because of something that you experienced. I don't know, anything. Anything something that you're dealing with right now, something that you've dealt with from 20 years ago. Maybe you've experienced, actually probably all of us in some, have experienced what the blind men did in their initial crying out to God. What's seemingly seemed like the silent treatment because what we prayed for didn't come to fruition. Oh man, I just... I, uh, I'm just like in this moment reminded of like our praying for the Bouvons, like praying for, praying for this baby, and like just the fruit of that. Just God's testament to like prayer and his faithfulness. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. Let's, let's pray, right? Let's pray. And that's not to say that for those who are, that's those who are, you know, still praying for something and have not received that, or maybe you never got that. It doesn't mean that he is any less faithful to us. Right. So whether or not we get the desired answers to our prayers, we can confidently let our requests be known to our Heavenly Father. Because He promises to give good things to those who ask. Our faith is in the sovereignty and the goodness of the giver of good gifts. The giver of good gifts. To close out this section, I want to I share a, a portion of a, of, a I think a fairly well-known quote from Helen Keller, in our autobiography, you, you may have seen the movie. I've never seen or read the movie, but came across this quote. Uh, it's funny. I think even in our men's ministry, this last chapter, there, there was a, the uh, mentioning of this quote. It's where Helen Keller, it's when she kind of put the two things together where she, whatever that she was feeling, she, she realized that that was water. And, um, so she had, she felt water in one hand. And on the other hand, her, her teacher, Anne Sullivan spells out "water" for her, and so it's that moment that it just clicks for her, and then she realizes that that thing that she's feeling is water. And she describes the feeling as, "quote, a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning, a thrill of returning thought." And somehow, the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that "water" meant the wonderful cool something that was flowing over my hand. This last line. That living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, joy, set it free. That living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, joy, set it free. This is such a powerful illustration of what it looks like for us to encounter Jesus, the living word of God to receive his healing touch. Jesus Christ is the living word that is able to awaken our souls from being dead from our trespasses and being made alive in Christ. He is the living word that is able to give us light. He's the lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. He's the living word that is our eternal hope and everlasting joy. He is the only living word <clears throat> excuse me that can set your soul free from the slavery of sin so that you can become a beloved child of God have you come to this Jesus as we see the blindness have you have you come to this Jesus have you acknowledged yourself as a sinner only deserving of God's eternal wrath is your only hope in the mercy of God made available to us through Christ's wrath-absorbing blood. Have you confessed and repented of your sin? Surrender your life in complete, humble submission to His authority? Has He awakened your soul? To those who have claimed to have encountered this, Jesus, I pray that today that, that you are freshly reminded of His mercy and grace and that you're filled with gratitude. And for those who have not, Jesus is asking me the same question this morning he asked the blind man 2,000 years ago. Do you believe I am able to do this? And you should respond by faith and confess with your heart, yes, Lord, have mercy on me. Believing is seeing. That was my longer point. Um, so following the Healing, we see the two responses. The two responses, one from the blind men and the other from the crowd and the Pharisees. So, our blind men who, who miraculously received the, the, their, and restored their, their sight, they're able to see now. What's the first thing that they do? They disobey Jesus. They can't keep their mouths shut. Now, you think that's not really a problem, right? What do you mean? They went out, they spread his fame through all that district, as it says in our text. I think it's easy to be sympathetic towards the blind men and their being on fire for Jesus. I mean, just imagine, right? For however long, we don't know. It says that they're blind. I'm assuming for quite some time. And Jesus touches their eyes. They can see now. Imagine the excitement and their eagerness to tell the world what they experienced. Jesus is the Messiah to spread his fame, and that's exactly what they did. Hallelujah, right? Praise the Lord for their faithfulness to preach, to go out. They didn't need the extra motivation or that gentle push to go into the neighborhood and, and, and share their faith. I mean, there's no way even Jesus could be mad at that, right? I mean, they were doing such good work. No, no. It says Jesus sternly warned them to not speak about their healing. So their clearly speaking about it was a clear act of disobedience. And so drawing from the disobedience of the blind man, we can draw, I believe, a word of admonition and a word of comfort. The word of admonition is this. Let us not excuse our disobedience. Disobedience is just that. Disobedience. Disobeying God is a sin. And if we are in sin, we are in sin, which means we must repent for our sin. In and, First and Kings 13, you read about a prophet. When you read it, 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 it seems pretty clear that he was deceived into obeying God's command. He was deceived. He wasn't supposed to eat something. He got tricked into eating it, so he ate it. But you think, man, this guy was innocent. He was going to do the right thing, and he got deceived into disobeying God. So, man, but disobedience is disobedience. God's judgment was upon him. He was killed by a lion on the side of the road. I believe God's word is much more black and white than we like to think that it is. And there's this this growing movement of taking the things that Scripture speaks very clear on and then we put it in the bucket of gray area. Up for interpretation. Oh, we can just agree to disagree. And we use... In, in our sin nature, I believe we, we use life circumstances, the trials, um, certain challenges in life, the pressures of the world, we use those things as a crutch to excuse our disobedience. As if, the, if disobedience is no longer disobedience. Or because of those circumstances, they're less sinful. God commands us to live a life of obedience according to His word to walk in a manner worthy of the calling as prisoners of the Lord. So we must remain faithful to read his word, study his word, but to not read into his word with all of our baggage, but to read out from it. That's what exegesis is, to read out of, to read from his word and to not nuance our disobedience, but to call it what it is, disobedience. That's the word of admonition, the word of comfort. We're all a work in progress. I'm, these blind men received this miraculous work of healing. First thing that they do is to disobey Jesus, right? You're like, you, how can, but that's us. That is us. And the fact that the blind men immediately disobeyed Jesus does not mean that their faith was not genuine. Jesus says they, according to your faith it be done to you. But it did point to the immaturity of their faith. So no matter how radical of a change that you've experienced in your life after coming to Christ, there's not a single person in this building or this world for that matter that has a testimony of perfect submission and obedience upon conversion. Nobody. It's a lifelong race of us. Continuing to grow in Christlikeness. So when we recognize that we've disobeyed, right? What should we do? Repent quickly. Run to the cross. Confess your sin and be reminded that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So don't look around. It's your race. Don't look around. We're all a work in progress. Now, if you're someone that thinks like, you look back and like, oh, look at him, bro, I'm up here. Heal the pride. Humble yourself. You're still a work in progress because we're all a work in progress. No matter what your work with Christ looks like, we only look forward to the prize. to not look back. We look forward towards the prize. That is Jesus and being in perfect fellowship with him one day. Jesus is not just the object of our faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. So until then, we keep praying. You know, we'll be praying this Wednesday. We keep praying. We keep fasting. Meditate on God's word. Gather with the saints as we're doing this morning. We're gonna go through the ups and downs of life in this sinful world, battling our flesh, our doubt, our unbelief. So we place our hope in the son of David who lived the perfect life of obedience and submission. And we put on the whole armor of God. Quick kids club. You know, we're gonna we're go kids club, armor of God, right? So we put on the armor of God and we trust in his spirit to guide us according to his word. Now that was the blind man. Going kind to of come to the close. The response from healing from the crowd and the Pharisees. The crowd says that they marvelled. They marvelled, saying, "Never was anything like this seen in Israel." But the Pharisee said, "He casts out demons by the prince of demons." We saw the blind man while they were physically bonded. We said that they were spiritually able to see. They saw themselves accurately and believed in Jesus accurately, right? But here we see the crowd and the Pharisees who were physically, their eyes were open, but they were spiritually blind. Their seeing did not lead to their believing. And what do I mean by that? The two things that you see in common between the crowd and the Pharisees, who are often, I think, in my study, I saw that they were kind of dealt with separately because it's the crowd that they marveled and is followed with, but the Pharisees did this. So they're usually paired differently, but I think there's more that they actually share in common. And what they share in common is that they both witnessed all of Jesus' miracles. They didn't deny that it was Jesus that did it, yet they all missed the fact that Jesus was the son of David from whom they needed to be healed of their spiritual blindness and submit to his authority. Yes, the crowd was amazed, right? We, we, and throughout, throughout the other gospels, we see how the, the crowd is amazed. There was something special about Jesus. and it wasn't because he cast out demons. At, during that time, there are many other Jewish Jewish exorcists, there are other miracle workers and healers. But it was the totality of Jesus' miracles and signs that they witnessed which led them to then say, "Never." was anything like the scene in Israel. And still then, what was lacking was who they believed Jesus to be. The miracles were supposed to point them back to Jesus, yet their amazement didn't bring them to their knees to plead for mercy and to humbly submit to his lordship. Then there are the Pharisees, who, like the crowd, again, did not deny that Jesus was the one to perform even this particular miracle of casting out the demon. Because they say he casts out demons. So they believe that Jesus was the one that cast out the demon. But as one commentator put it, the Pharisees weren't denying the power, they questioned the source. And this false accusation by the Pharisees is just a foreshadowing of the growing hostility towards Jesus by the religious leaders. And we're going to continue to see that in the rest of the book of Matthew. Now, given their expertise in the scriptures and the truthfulness of Jesus' teachings and his works, you would think that they would have been convinced, as the blind men were, that Jesus was the Messiah. But they denied, they denied his messiahship or his lordship, but they had to attribute his power to something, so they accused him of being empowered by the Prince of Demons. So, what do we take away from that? I believe their response, the response by the crowd and the Pharisees, tells us that spiritual blindness is can only be healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no amount of seeing that can soften a hardened heart. We saw that in Pharaoh, right? right? There's no amount of Seeing that can soften the heart and heart, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Seeing is not believing, as we see, but believing is seeing. And the lack of confession from the crowd and the Pharisees tells us that it's not really even a matter of witnessing or experiencing miracles. You can imagine you're kind of checking our miracle fatigue, right? You would think, you would think having witnessed a dead girl be raised to life, that they would have been convinced. The crowd marveled at Jesus' miracles. It's the same crowd that shouted out, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Right? This is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's also the same crowd that cried out, Days later, crucify him. Crucify him. When Jesus turned out to not be who they hoped he would be. You may be telling yourself, man, if, if I lived 2,000 years ago and I was in you know, Palestine and if I had witnessed the, the healings, right? If I saw the bleeding woman all of a sudden not bleed, if I saw the, the dead girl to be raised alive, life, I would have believed if I was back then. Or maybe you're telling yourself, like, even today, I would believe in Jesus if he would answer my prayers. If I would, if I would be delivered and, and, and to, to, to receive more of his blessings, right? Maybe you're going through something. And if that's you, I hope that you would see the crowd and the Pharisees' response and realize seeing is not believing. And I pray today, if he's not doing that already, I pray today that your hardened heart of stone will be replaced with the heart of flesh. That the scales of unbelief, the scales of unbelief would fall off as we saw from Apostle Paul. You know, we just sang Amazing Grace. Right? Probably, I would have, I think I, probably everyone here knows Amazing Grace. Has at least the first verse memorized. But that last line, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I pray that you can sing that last line with confidence and believe the words that you are singing. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus is a merciful and compassionate healer who is certainly able to perform any miracle that you can imagine, to marvel any crowd. But more importantly, He is the gracious Savior that can heal you from your spiritual blindness. If you would believe, to to have a correct view of yourself, to believe Jesus as He reveals Himself to be, to plead for God's mercy. So The question is, the same question I've been asking that Jesus is asking us today. Do you believe I am able to do this. Believing is seeing.